Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Nicole. And I'm Gina. And today we are dishing about dietitians not all being the same or like a dietitian is not a dietitian. Let's put it that way. But first, a little catching up. Gina, what's going on? Yeah, we haven't talked in quite a long time. Yeah. Uh, Even when just when a week goes by, I feel like it's been forever. Uh, So school has started here. Uh, We started it in mid-August. And I will tell you, I was really nervous about Cameron starting kindergarten since he was still at times crying at preschool drop-off. Uh, in fact, we kind of went back and forth as to whether or not to even send him to kindergarten, but that was just for a brief, brief moment. Uh, but he has been doing, honestly, just amazing. And I'm sure it helps that his sister is there, that Paige is there. I know that that's been a, a huge benefit for him and for us. But, you know, he's doing a great job making friends and and doing well. Uh, started Girl Scouts. I don't know if I told you this or if I said this on the podcast, but I'm a, strangely enough, a Girl Scout leader this year which really just means I'm the third of already two, you know, very um, senior Girl Scout leaders and that they were Girl Scouts their whole lives. And they've got other kids who are Girl Scouts. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm really just kind of there to help support. <laughs> uh, and, and Paige only said she would only do Girl Scouts if I was a leader. And I didn't necessarily, it's not like I really, really desperately wanted her to do Girl Scouts, but I wanted her to do one more thing something to help her like build confidence. And I just thought that Girl Scouts would be the perfect thing for that. And she's got two of her best friends are in there. So why not? So that's that's actually been a lot of fun so far. And then Cameron started flag football, which he's, believe it or not, he's doing really well at. You know, my, my kids are both smaller uh, because both Nick and I are smaller people. And uh, he'll never be like a football star. <laughs> but... <laughs> Flag football so far, he's doing really well at. He's fast, and that's that's helpful and uh, ruthless. <laughs> so he just he's only had uh, two practices. We haven't even had a game yet, so we'll see how how it goes when you know there's a little bit more pressure and people in the stands. But with the practice, he's doing well. Otherwise, I've just been working a lot, uh, you know, with the beginning of the school year and just trying to find time to do relaxing things. It's actually Labor Day today, and there's an arts festival, but. I- I was telling you, Nicole, before jumping on, it's literally just raining. I mean, I looked at my at my watch all day long, all day, which is really a bummer because this is a really fun arts festival that we go to every year. I actually was going to go with a friend and her son, and we'll see if we still end up going. It's probably going to be a muddy mess, but what else is there to do, honestly, mm-hmm. when it rains? Ew. There's plenty of things to do inside, but they'll be crazy, crazy busy. Yeah. So no thanks. <laughs> What's up with you? We start school this week. Like you said, today's Labor Day. And uh, so Piper being in kindergarten this year, they do a phase in schedule. So she will go on Tuesday and Thursday. Shay will go all week uh, or what remains Tuesday through Friday. Piper's birthday is on Thursday. We were supposed to have family this weekend. Well, at least yesterday, we were going to have a boat day that had already been rescheduled once. Well, I had made pasta salad, potato salad, a three-tier chocolate cake, like all the, and my dad got coronavirus. Oh. And the, yeah, so nobody came. I've got all this food. Um, 
like my fridge is full. I've got brats and burgers and everything for the grill. It's oh my gosh. Anyway, I have no idea what we're going to do. And today is kind of overcast and whatnot. But I will say the weekend started out really great. Um, yeah, Friday we snuck in um, boating in the in the early evening and followed it up at the pool. Just a lot of fun there. And then Saturday, um, there's, I don't know. I didn't know what a regatta is. I still don't really know what a regatta is, but boating is, we live on Lake Michigan. Boating is a huge thing here. So there's a tri-state regatta where sailboats, I think they come from Chicago, sail over, and then they dock all these sailboats at, um, it's called the Yacht Club, which is our, AKA our pool. We do not have public pools here. So everybody belongs to the yacht club, which is not as bougie as it sounds. And then for this regatta, they um, set up this giant tent, bring in this like party band. And it was just like, it was like being back in college. Like it was so fun. It was outside. The weather was perfect. It's like dark and there's just people dancing and the band is so loud that you're yelling. I don't know. It was just so fun. And it's, it's open to everybody. And it is just, it is a massive, massive event, but it was really cool to see all these sailboats just like one after the other, after the other. And there's tents. There's like a marina right across. There's tents set up in the marina. Just, it was, I don't know. It was just a really cool event. I've never been before. So that was a lot of fun on Saturday night. And I went to bed at like 2, 1230. Um, no, no, no. Sorry. It was closer to one. It was after one, actually. It was so late for me. And then I am an old lady. I get up at 630 no matter what. So between Friday night, watching the Illinois football team lose in the last minutes. Then I'm like, oh, I have to watch Serena's third third set. She lost. So Friday night I was up late too. It just, I'm sleep deprived. So I'm just, mm. we're laying low today. Gonna have fun. Um, just getting ready for school tomorrow. So yeah. Oh, awesome. That's it. All right. Well, lots going on for both of us. Uh, before we begin, just a quick favor to ask, since you like this podcast, please write us a review. We haven't had one in a while and they really help us with just reach more people. And of course, as always, we would so appreciate it. It has been a minute. Drop a review, please. (laughs) All right. Well, we have done some talk about dietitian-y stuff um, in terms of school, but just to kind of introduce today's topic and kind of why we thought it might be fun to discuss when people hear the word dietitian, they one often use it interchangeably with a nutritionist, and so I think we'll we'll start there um, with what's the difference between the two. Registered dietitians are required at to have a minimum of a bachelor's, and that's going to be changing to a master's, isn't it, Gina? Yeah, I want to say it's t- actually twenty twenty four or twenty. No, no, no. It might be four. It might be twenty twenty four. Yes, yes. That's been in conversation for a lot of years, and it's. I think it was approved, though, and is happening. So soon a master's will be required for registered dietitians. Then they also have to um, complete this at an accredited institution. The coursework in food and nutrition sciences includes a whole bunch of stuff. So not only the sciences um, for nutrition, but also food service, sociology, biology, chemistry, biochemistry, Oh my gosh, so much chemistry, so much biochemistry, <laughs> microbiology, anatomy, and physiology. 
So there's a total of over 1,200 hours then that have to be under supervised practice through an accredited internship program. And then um, RD eligible folks go to sit for the national boards uh, from the Commission on Dietetic Registration. And then once they pass their boards, every five years, dietitians have to complete 75 hours of continuing education and abide by the industry's code of ethics and scope of practice guidelines. Uh, therefore, the, the RD, the registered dietitian title, is a protected title, uh, and meaning in order to be called an RD, you have to have completed all the aforementioned steps and maintain that credentialing uh, through continuing education. Whereas nutritionists have no formal education or required examination nor a protected title. And in essence, everyone is a nutritionist. There are other programs out there, certifications and whatnot, but it is different from the registered dietitian path, just as a as an aside. And when we look at a bit more about the dietetic internship, I look back on it very fondly as this time in which I got to experience so many different fields of dietetics work. And I think it's really where you start to see your schoolwork play out in what you may be doing as a career and, and kind of where the rubber meets the road there. And they kind of chunk out that internship into different um, genres of dietetics. So one is clinical. That's huge. Uh, Common areas. So cardiology, surgical trauma, pediatrics, critical care, long-term care, skilled nursing, working in um, with renal patients, diabetes, the NICU, all sorts there. So everything like medical, if you will. Then you've got food service management, and we're going to talk a bit about that, and also community dietetics. Some resources put outpatient nutrition in here. I think outpatient nutrition is like community slash clinical, uh, but things like the Women's Infant and Children's Program are commonly known as WIC, uh, working in research, grocery stores, things like that. Lots of different options there. And you know, we, we're going to talk about this a, a bit today because most people don't realize the depth and breadth of training that dietitians kind of go through. And we thought we talk about the fact that as that a dietitian is not a dietitian. We're, we're not all made the same and we have different um, specialties, if you will. And therefore, we are not relevant and current in every area of dietetics. It's impossible to be. Uh, so that might be a red flag if you're running across a dietitian who um, seems to be or claims to be knowledgeable about all the things. That's, that's probably just not possible. But we've got the foundation and we both, you and I, Gina, have very unique and diverse work histories. So we thought it'd be fun to do a little episode to delve deeper into the area of dietetics that we know and love and maybe make light of those that we are a little bit less uh, versed in. So to kick us off, I'm going to go all the way into the deep Mm. end here with clinical. So total parenteral nutrition. For those not in the nutrition field or medical field, this is, quote, like IV nutrition. This is nutrition that would be used if you have to like bypass the gut, if you will. And so my question for you, Gina, is could you write a TPN order today? Or what about a tube feeding or otherwise known as enteral feeding? So that's something that may go through what's called an NG, a nasogastric tube, or a G tube, a gastric tube directly into the stomach, or you can go into the jejunum, the others, all sorts. So how would you feel doing that, Gina? Oh my gosh. Uh, no, I could absolutely not write a TPN uh, order. In fact, I don't think I could even do it during my internship. I just was, I had such little investment in it 
to begin with. I knew I would never be a clinical dietitian. I had no interest in it whatsoever. So I just sort of went through the motions when I was in my internship. And I know that my preceptors knew it at the time, and which is probably probably why they didn't really love me that much. I, <laughs> I had a really horrible clinical experience, a clinical rotation experience during my internship. Um, I truthfully, I always felt when I, during that time that I would, I may, I may as well be an accountant crunching numbers in an office. Uh, it just was not for me. And I do understand that, you know, the importance of TPN, any type of nutrition and dietetics clinical is so, so important. It's vastly different than being an accountant. However, to me, I was just, that's not why I became a dietitian. I didn't want to sit in an office or, you know, in a hospital room or that little, you know, lobby area, crunching numbers on the computer. It's just, and not talking to anyone that it was, was not at all something that interested me. So I never invested even the time or energy to even really truly learn how to do it. I probably did a couple times because I had to, to kind of show that I knew how to do it in the moment, but to do it now, absolutely not. Um, I also was really turned off during my, I can remember this actually very clearly uh, during my, that rotation in the NICU, which I'm going to talk about here in a little bit, but just, I never felt respected in the hospital as a dietitian. And I think that that actually is not just in clinical dietetics. It kind of expands in other areas of dietetics, but and I, I even got that vibe from my preceptors during that that internship, that rotation for me. Just like you, you write your your TPN order, any other order in the in the hospital, and the doctors just kind of want to like they don't even they kind of scoff at you, like it's not even that important, blah blah blah. Which I will say is very. I think that that is changing. This was 15 years ago, but that's how I felt then, uh, and I don't think that that helped. Uh, as far as my my views on clinical dietetics, but especially like in the in the ICU, I would say, or maybe I shouldn't say that. I would say it wasn't quite like that in the ICU because it was so 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 important there. But throughout my whole clinical rotation, I just remember getting this vibe that doctors looked down at us, and that wasn't just me. That's what my preceptors were telling me, like verbatim. Like the doctors mm-hmm. don't like us; they don't take us seriously. So just that whole, I just mm, that whole time. Didn't really love it. But yes, to answer your question, I could not, I could not write a, a, a TPN order today. Uh, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about you? Oh, gosh. No, I, I did very differently from you work alongside in my internship, some amazing critical care dietitians who are typically the folks who are going to be writing uh, TPN orders. Also, in many institutions, it's the pharmacists who are writing these orders. Yeah, and I am not knowledgeable enough about um we call this nutrition support, but there are some very serious complications to um alterations in nutritional statuses, like refeeding syndrome, like you can actually really hurt somebody um, by feeding them um, too aggressively, say if they've not been eating or again, we're talking about really sick people. Like a lot of times on the show, we're talking about, you know, intuitive eating and and things like people who are eating and otherwise healthy, right? That is not the the population that's going to be having TPN in the moment. But I worked alongside great critical care nurses during my internship and in my current role. Um, They're on the inpatient team. So, you know, we definitely have a working relationship, but they're just awesome. And what I find so interesting is one of the things that they're super prideful about and they should be is the fact that they write orders for diets in the hospital. So, for example, if somebody were receiving 
total parenteral nutrition, it would be the dietitian, my understanding is that who would advance the diet to then like an enteral nutrition. So then using the gut, because the goal is always to use the gut. You want to use your digestive system, duh, that's what it's meant for. But there are instances where that would not be um, suitable or medically appropriate. So anyway, I just, it's so interesting to me that as dietitians who are going through six years of higher education and nutrition are finally the ones who are advancing diet orders. Like to me, that's the fact that dietitians have to be excited about that is just sad. Um, because yeah, Gina, to your point, I think the respect for the dietitian isn't there. Um, and I'm glad for institutions where they're really carving out their role on the, on, on the care team. That's huge. Because like you said, their role is so important. I had an interest at the time uh, very much in my internship. I thought that it was fascinating. But today, there is no way I could write a TPN order. I could write an enteral order, but it would take an embarrassing length of time. And I cannot say that I would enjoy it in the least. And I would doubt myself. I'd be like, is this correct? Is this correct? Exactly. I just don't do yes. it enough. It's not a skill. Um, I do have generalist dietitians on my team who do write enteral nutrition orders sometimes because there are people out in the wild who have supplemental nutrition through a J-tube typically, or I'm sorry, a G-tube, um, also called a PEG or it's got all sorts of names, but there are people who who do um, self-administer enteral feedings at home. So we do some of that. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Okay. So we went into the deep end first. All right. Question two, what do you remember most about working with trauma patients? Yeah, extremely little. Uh, like I said in the previous question, I, I really did become a dietitian to talk to people and help motivate them more. I, I think I became a dietitian more as like a coach. Like that was my my goal to be more like a wellness food coach. And when you're working with trauma patients, you that's not what you're really doing. It just never interested me. Uh, I would say, and I've talked about this with other, you know, coworkers and friends before. I, I would consider myself sort of an introverted extrovert. I actually was talking to a friend about this the other day and, and she used that term for herself too. And I agree with that. But in in work, I'm very much an extrovert because I'm so passionate about nutrition, dietetics, intuitive eating, all that. So when I was in the ICU during my rotation, I just remember this so well. Every morning sitting in a very, like I said, isolated lobby area where I had eyes on three patients at a time and they were adults. Uh, They were all intubated and I couldn't talk to them or ask them questions or ask how their day was. You know, obviously that's horrible. I felt horrible for them. They were in a very bad situation. I'm not sure. I think I I actually remember one of them was really young and he had just gotten in a car accident. I mean, it was very depressing. Uh, So there are definitely people for that who who love that kind of work. That is just not me. Uh, Also, I want to add, I was not in a good place myself. Uh, this was at like the height of my eating disorder, a really terrible time for me. So I think perhaps if I was better in a better place mentally and physically, I could have had a better experience. But for me, like I was experiencing my own trauma of sorts mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, so I just I, I didn't enjoy it uh, at all. And uh, I, here's the thing, too. I remember this so well. I went into dietetics not wanting to be a clinical dietitian. My goal was really to be in the community or food service, which I was the only one in my internship of, I think, seven other girls. They were all girls. Yes, we were all women uh, who was in, who was not interested in clinical. So, again, there is a plate. There is a there is a person out there for every diet, you know, dietetic role, especially clinical, because the everyone except for myself. I remember this so clearly wanted to do clinical in some aspect. Someone to work with trauma patients. 
um, someone to work at, you know, in pediatrics, but they wanted to do clinical and I was the only one who didn't. So yes, I just remember knowing at the time this, that that was not for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of piggybacking off of that with trauma, right? That can happen at any time. Why would we never want to be clinical dietitians? Because you have to work weekends, holidays, oh, all yeah, of that stuff, to. right? No, thank you. There is just, oh, yeah, that's a great reason to not be a clinical dietitian. But I, I was fortunate. I worked in a, not worked. <laughs> I was very free. I was um, doing my internship at a level one trauma hospital. So um, maybe some earmuffs if there's young listeners around. But in our, um, in my trauma rotation, I, I saw a lot of gunshot wounds. Um, and a quick little story as to like, what do I remember most? I can very well remember an abdominal gunshot wounds, uh, working with this patient. And, and by working with, I mean, writing probably the TPN order <laughs> or helping write the TPN order, because I remember that due to the swelling, and I would have never known this otherwise, they basically left the abdominal cavity. They like cut it open to allow for the swelling and they had like a um let's just call it like plastic wrap situation like over the top of it like literally right under the the bed sheets like just all out and about and then when the swelling went down i remember that's when they would kind of put everything back together but just crazy to and i'm way over oversimplifying that but that's the and i guess it was that's what i remember of my rotation and just being like oh my gosh like fascinating I don't even know if that person lived. I, I certainly hope so. Uh, but just that's that's very fascinating stuff. It's just not anything that I could see myself doing on a daily basis. So it's like I was so interested at the time in learning more about it. Uh, same with like burns and things. Very fascinating. Loved the nosiness that I get to like get the story of what happened. And um, mm-hmm. they totally call people John Doe's and stuff in the hospital for um, – protective reasons because they don't want somebody to come and like finish the job, if you will. Um, it, yeah, just very interesting stuff that happens in in trauma units. Uh, but yeah, not not my jam from a like career perspective. That's for sure. All I, right. I do and, want to be clear, though. Yeah. You don't have to work every weekend as a clinical dietitian. So, I mean, yes, you do no. work weekends, but generally speaking, not everywhere, but generally it's like either every other weekend or you choose one weekend a month. So still, if you are out there no, listening and you're thinking, thank you. yes, I, I, yeah, I agree. I would still not love that, but it's not like you're working every single weekend and probably not always the whole weekend either. Um, but also not True. only weekends, but holidays, holidays too. I mean, you're, you've got to, you know, I think you, it's like every other year you work Christmas or Thanksgiving or. Well, yeah. and COVID has changed some of this. I know our dietitians in the hospital work from home some. Like during COVID, they had their set days at home because a lot of the stuff you're monitoring labs, you're adjusting. That you can be talking to nurse right. saying, "Hey, can you increase, you know, the rate to this? Can you? Yeah, a lot of this you're not needing to see the patient, Correct. which is kind of yep. interesting. So COVID, COVID, that's a positive COVID outcome, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, Gina, you loved food service management and I actually did too. I didn't want to like admit it because it wasn't like the sexy rotation, I guess, but I, I did really like it. And there's more money in food service management, which is great too. So what did you like and dislike about food service management? Um, and yeah, like I said, you and I have both past or presently worked in this industry. Okay. It's so funny. You said it's not, it's, it's not the sexiest. It's totally not because you're wearing a hairnet a lot of the times. Second lo- second of all, isn't it ironic? I, I feel like there's more liability, obviously, in the clinical setting, but yet 
food service management, food service dietitians in general do make significantly more money. Yeah. I don't really understand that. Obviously, I'm happy about it because that's where I work, but it really doesn't make that much sense. Clinical dietitians do not get paid enough there. I said it done. Okay. So here's why what I liked about food service management. First of all, that was my first job. Uh, you know, my first job when I was a sophomore in high school was at a Bob Evans. I bust tables and I was also a hostess. So I, you know, I sort of landed in that area of, of work early, early on. Actually, I take that back. It wasn't my first job. My first job was at Hallmark. It was my second job, but still. And then I was in food service for the rest of my life, like bouncing from, you know, location to location, graders, uh, restaurant. I mean, you name it, I've worked there. Uh, I just really love being busy and feeling like my presence is needed somewhere. And I always feel like that in food service. Not to say that I, you don't feel like that in the hospital, but it's almost like in, it, um, invisible work in the hospital in a way, especially as a dietitian. I feel like that's how I always felt. Like no one was really, no one was thank, it was thankless. No one thanked me. No one appreciated me. That's how I felt in literally like the three weeks I was there. So who knows what it's really like, but I just always feel like I'm around people in food service. People are always happy because they're eating food. Food makes people happy. And I loved that. Still love that. Um, most people in a food court or dining hall, like I said, are happy, especially where I work at, it's a college setting. So just people are in a good mood. Um, on the other hand, there's a lot of other work, quote unquote, involved in food service management, such as keeping up with all the rules and regulations for safety, food safety and nutrition, obviously hiring, training, payroll, so much stuff that people don't even realize, Right. Uh, not to mention things like how to handle mispicks or product shortages and endless substitutions, which I will say, yes, there's positive things that came out of COVID, but this is definitely one of the negatives. Food service since COVID has been just a shit show, um, for lack of a better term, uh, not only because of shortage of workers, but also all of the endless substitutions and keeping up with that as a dietitian is kind of a nightmare. Uh, especially when it comes to food allergies, ingredients, and making sure that you're picking like like products, which is close to impossible. It really, really is, but uh, something that we're trying very hard to do. Uh, but yeah, I think I think overall the things that I liked was just staying busy, being around people who are happy. Oh, not all the time, that's for sure. Uh, making people happy with food because food is just happiness, in my opinion. Um, but the downside is just all of the. I guess it's similar to what I said about clinical, but thankless work, things that people don't realize that you're doing behind the scenes that take so much of your time and energy and mental space. That is uh, stuff that I didn't even realize when I was wanting to become a dietitian that, you know, food service manage managers do, especially in the school settings. Mm -hmm. It is just a lot, a lot of work, a lot of work. I mean, it is a stressful job. Mm-hmm. I don't do that. I'm not in the K through 12. My my job is so, so different. Uh, but there's a reason for that. I've I've got more of the, I don't want to say easy, but I, I do have it, I know, a lot easier than those K through 12 dietitians in, in the collegiate area. There's obviously things about my job that are more difficult than theirs. But I think overall, like I'm not managing a team of, you know, line cooks uh, or or temp employees. That's another thing, managing temp employees from different temp agencies. Oh my gosh, I could go on. There's so many things that are difficult, but overall, you know, the, the positive things re- reign true for me. I think more so just the fact that you're doing something that it, it, it puts a smile on most people's face. And you're around people too. You're 
working with people to get the job done. And it's a, and it's a collaborative effort, which I love that about, um, food service, which I didn't really feel as much as a clinical dietitian for that, you know, month that I was there. I didn't, you're really, it's isolating. That's how I felt. That's another thing. I didn't like how isolating it was. I like to be with a team, other people working together. I felt very isolated in that clinical setting. Mm-hmm. So what about you? Yeah, I, I like the pace and predictability of food service management and also felt it was more physical than other roles I had in the past. I, I had I called it the fishbowl. I thought I sat in an office with uh, the supervisor and we worked as a team really well together. And but it, we had these like like it was like glass on all sides. But if I just wanted to like get up from my computer and do stuff like I would go unload the dishwasher, like whatever I would get involved. I was always wanting to help cook and wash and whatever it was. Um what I didn't like was the staffing woes and in customer service, I think it's just fairly thankless work a lot of the times. I don't know. Not always, but um, mm-hmm. I think what people don't realize that in ho- at least hospitals, which is very different from the work that you're doing, uh, facilities like hospitals have gone to a much more of an a la carte ordering because it's all about the patient experience. Like even though you're in the hospital and you have to be, quote, be in the hospital, uh, people can take their hospital business, if you will, elsewhere. And you really want people to have a good experience, of course, at your facility. And when you think about that, they can't control much about their hospitalization or their care or who their doctor is or their nurse. But, and so food becomes all the more important. They're calling down to the kitchen to order what they want. Um, and it becomes just so much of a thing for 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 patients because they they have that autonomy in that moment. And like you said, food is happiness, right? Um, so I think that's just something that is a little bit understated in the hospital stay is the role of food and how good the food needs to be. And then when you're talking about therapeutic diets and whatnot and a sodium restriction, it can be really challenging. So I think that dietitians have a huge role in making more healthful food also fit, um, you know, good taste profiles as well. Um, In the the food service management role that I had, that we also had a, like a, a cafeteria front. So like non-hospitalized people or visitors, staff would come and eat. And I loved being able to really try new foods. So we, we would try like quinoa dishes and just trying to really expand people's palates. And it was always really well accepted. And I was grateful at that time to have the budget to do it. Not sure in today's uh, world that that would happen. Th- things are with COVID, I think a bit more tight in in hospital budgets. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed my time as a as a food service manager, and I would definitely go back to that work for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, big pivot here. Did you, Gina, have the chance to work with NICU babies? I believe you said yes. And is this something that would interest you in in dietetics or working in that field? Okay, I never, I actually never worked with no, NICU no. babies. Okay. Nope, I worked in the ICU, but not the NICU. So neonatal. So ICU is in- intensive care unit, right? Yeah. Yep. NICU is N in front of it. So it's neonatal intensive care unit. So it's babies. Uh, I never did. I, um, I I think I would have liked it just for part of, as part of a, a rotation because I did actually really enjoy my children's hospital rotation, but I never worked in the NICU. I don't think I'd be interested in this here. Here's the thing. I love babies, love babies. But again, I prefer being able to talk to people. Honestly, even when my own kids were babies, I was bored out of my mind because I couldn't talk to them. It, it you know, being at home for 12 weeks with both of my kids, I actually didn't even take the 12 weeks with Paige because I was so bored. And I know, you know, moms and dads are probably listening to me like, what the heck are you talking about? There was so much to do, blah, blah, blah. 
this was my, when you have your, when I had Paige, I had no one, I had no other kids and I didn't have, I mean, I worked, but I wasn't working because I had 12 weeks off and I was just bored. You know, she was sleeping all the time. I had no one to talk to. So I don't think I would enjoy working in the NICU. Maybe for a short amount of time, I would enjoy it. But, you know, for, for my, my professional, you know, long haul job would not be for me. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah, the facility that I did my clinicals at also had a NICU, which I thought was a really great experience. I don't know that I could fare well emotionally. We, you know, it's not the babies, of course, you're dealing with. It's the parents and the chaos of, you know, not all babies are brought into the world, um, you know, with a loving family surrounding them. It, it's it's just a lot. That emotional toll is is just a lot to carry with you. And, um, you know, babies are just innocent little sweeties like they you know it's just it was a lot um so you're getting a a a big emotional kind of weight every single day and I just remember thinking about the volume so like to put in perspective 30 cc's is an ounce one ounce and the volumes would be like two cc's an hour I mean just like these tiny little volumes where I'm almost like if somebody were to just like squeeze the tube like they would get you know, like eight oh times, the of the, like just crazy things that I don't know. It was just because their belly was, is so so yeah, small. Yeah, it was. They needed so little, and I, it was fascinating. But as an everyday gig, it would just be of no interest to me. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, I, I'm glad I had the experience, though. I do want to add. I, I was. I am not at all saying that that job would be boring in general. I know that NICU dietitians and nurses. I mean, that is a skilled difficult job. Not boring, I am sure. It would be boring. It would be boring for me as an extrovert in dietetics. Like I, again, became became a dietitian because I like to coach people. So to me, that would not stimulate me enough. I'm sure it would be stimulating by all means. Absolutely. But not in the right way for me. So I don't want anyone out there to be like, boring. What are you talking about? I'm sure it is not boring. It would not be it would not fill my cup. That's for sure. Yeah. I think in situations like that, in the hospital in general, that's where rounding and getting to know the care team, the doctors, the nurses, the the speech pathologists, like all of those, that becomes your network, right? Of yes. critical thinking and where you're going to, yeah, kind of come together to get a win with the patient. But I, I agree with you, Gina. I mean, it's not, it's definitely not the job for me. Um, And I could... I never had enough experience to ever feel even leaving that rotation with the NICU. I would never be like, okay, now I'm ready to work with NICU babies. Like a dietitian is not a dietitian. <laughs> That's my point in this in this whole episode is that is such a niche area of dietetics. It's so it's it's needed, right? Like these babies have to live. Uh, but not all dietitians would be capable of doing that. And you or I <laughs> don't fit that bill either. So, um, all right. What about working with blood? How do you feel about that? Not good. I, (laughs) I, I really do not like blood at all, which is why I went into dietetics, not nursing or something else related to healthcare. I just, I, I I honestly had a a phobia of blood when I was a child. Uh, It was pretty bad. In fact, (laughs) I was terrified of getting my period. That's how much I hated blood. Uh, it has since gotten better because I've, you see it blood all the time. So, you know, it's, it's all the exposure has helped me. But as a child, I had a major blood phobia. So the idea of and needle phobia, which I still kind of do a little bit. But yeah, that was 
I don't feel good about working with blood at all. <laughs> what about you? I love blood. I work with it oh. every day. <laughs> um, it's honestly poking people is and helping people work through needle phobia is a huge source of enjoyment for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't particularly love needles, but on a day-to-day basis, and I work as a diabetes educator, a certified diabetes educator, which is now called a certified diabetes care and education specialist, but that's a really big mouthful. Uh, but I like we have an, a hemoglobin A1C analyzer point of care in our unit. So like I will perform a finger stick and run that lab, um, like place the order for the lab, per, you know, perform the lab and then result the lab all within our space. Um, We are putting continuous glucose monitors on people's arms and bellies. Those are all um, injections of sort. It's inserting like a a small wire um, beneath into the interstitial fluids. Uh, But yeah, I mean, sometimes we'll hit a blood vessel and it's like, there's a lot of blood. Um, I love that part of my job. I just, I don't know why. I just, I never thought as a dietitian, I would do so much, be doing like touching all of that, but I see bellies like all day, like working, like just teaching people how to inject insulin, um, looking at their bodies for like, um, you know, areas where they need to stop injecting insulin, you know, from, from kind of tissue issues. And, uh, I don't know. I just, I love the touchy feeliness. And I think I probably in many ways wish that I was a dietitian, a dietitian who was also a nurse. Those people do exist. Uh, it's just a whole lot of school. And I feel like in my line of work, I kind of get to do both like the hands-on type of stuff um, and the blood without actually being a nurse. So a lot of specialty training there to become a CDE, but I love it. Um, but I do, do not want anything to do with vomit or saliva. So kind of back into the hospital um, where I had my first job as a dietetic intern those dietitians were actually going to training to learn how to insert nasal gastric tubes. So up the nose, down into the stomach. If I had to do that, I would vomit. Like, I don't think I could do that to somebody. No, no. Could you? Just thinking about it makes me, no, 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 no. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. So, yeah. Ugh. Um, okay. And I know some of our dietitians here also perform, um, it's called a nutritionally based physical exam. So also like looking in people's mouths and stuff, like I'm not really yeah. interested. I'm not, I don't want to see it. <laughs> That's yeah. I don't want to <laughs> see either. I don't like saliva. No vomit, no saliva. Not my thing. Give me all the blood. All right. How much of your foundational knowledge do you use such as estimated calorie needs, activity factors, macronutrient, macronutrient distribution ranges, all of that? I mean, that's where dietetics kind of starts. Yeah. I use nothing, nothing like that in my, Mm -hmm. in my actually, you know, full-time job, I don't use that at all. And in my side gig as a intuitive eating and wellness coach, zero, I could care less about your calorie needs, activity factors (laughs) or macronutrient distribution ranges. Uh, now I know that that's important for certain people, but you know, I, I think to myself, people like burn victims or people in the ICU, people who are, yeah, who are in the hospital and sick and need a certain amount of of those calories, macronutrients. But if you're a healthy individual that I'm, that's, those are the people that I'm working with. And I I don't see the need for that at all. And I don't use it, use it at all. Uh, I will say, you know, as I'm training for my half marathon, I've used that a little bit more for me to figure out like sort of how many calories, carbs I need to, uh, 
be um, successful in my training and hopefully in my half marathon, but that's about as far as I've gone in the, la- in the last 10 years with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. What about you? I certainly don't use it daily, maybe weekly. Uh, but for me, I would say it's more of a check the box uh, because I am in somewhat of a clinical role, more for like documentation purposes. Because if you read a medical nutrition therapy note, that's kind of a requirement to have in there. But the extent to which I use it with patients varies and is generally quite limited. Again, I'm working with nearly all diabetics who are, I would say, more fairly complicated. The folks that are getting referred to our practice are generally coming to more to be like fixed, uh, which goes way beyond diet. Um, although, of course, food and movement are obviously huge components to, to that disease management. Uh, but at the end of the day, the level of nutritional depth is, is very patient-guided and tailored to each individual and um, their goals and readiness to change. So we've got a few generalist dietitians who probably see more of just like the nutrition diagnoses and not the diabetes, whereas I'm pretty much doing all diabetes myself. Um, so yeah, not a, not a whole lot. And if I am talking it, it's probably more in terms of carbs um, and label reading with, with that type of thing uh, specific to diabetes. So, all right, Gina, you didn't answer this question on our show notes, but do you think... <laughs> That university coursework is missing the boat if they do not include information on information or I would say literature, learning, education on intuitive eating, or is the psychosocial aspect of nutrition a bit watered down by the chemistries? I didn't understand the second part of the question because it's sort of, it's saying, or science. You answered the question, but is the psychosocial, which is more intuitive eating. Yeah watered down by chemistries. I think, I think you need both. I don't think it's watered down by the chemistries. I think it's important to have both. I mean, absolutely. As we're talking about right now, I'm more of the psychosocial interest, but what you're doing or other new clinical dietitians, more so people who are in the hospital, I would say, do I think chemistry isn't needed for that? No, but math, very important for those types of jobs, not important for my job at all. It's more the psychosocial aspects. Do I, I think they're both incredibly important. I don't, I still am yet to figure out why there is so much chemistry in our line of work, <laughs> in our, you know, undergraduate coursework. It doesn't make sense to me at all, at all. I have yet to meet one person who said, oh yeah, chemistry was really important for my role as a dietitian. I don't get it. I can kind of understand OCHEM, maybe, but I don't understand. I don't understand what a waste of time that was. That's my opinion. And would 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 I have been better off in, in receiving more of that psychosocial education? Absolutely. They're now doing where I work an entire class on intuitive eating, which oh, they are actually I yeah, I, I speak in it. Now it's an elective. It's not a requ- it's not a requirement. Uh, but a lot of the students are taking it. And I and I think more and more, every more students are going to take it. And perhaps one year it will be a requirement, but I think it's awesome. And I think we need more of those. Maybe yeah. we should get rid of, you know, a year or two of chemistry and include more of that because I think, and I don't know this for a fact, but I, I, I feel like what, here, my guess is 50% of, of dietitians are more in the clinical setting and 50% are more in the community. But it, again, that is a guess. I really don't know. But 
if you look at the curriculum, it's more like 80% chemistry, math, 20% psychosocial. And again, I'm totally making that up. That is just based on what I remember and what I've seen. I think that that's a little bit backwards. So I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear you guys have a course on intuitive eating. I wish it wasn't yeah. an elective, um, mm. but at least it's offered. I, I, I don't know. I'm going to look up the University of Illinois curriculum and just see if there's any mention of it. Yeah, I, it's so hard. I think for me, when I went into nutritional biochemistry, that's where it kind of started to fit in like, Oh, oh yes. This is where okay, this is where all this chemistry foundation is getting put to use. Do I think about the mitochondria ever? No. Like no. I don't yeah, it's But I think which, biochemistry is different. Biochemistry was important to me. I love it it made everything make sense, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. That is so different though than what do they call it? Elemental chemistry. I don't even know what the, yeah. what the term of it is, but just chemistry, the basic mm-hmm. chemistry 101 chemistry. Those I like, you know, using the beakers and the doing going to lab. I ah, it was just extra stress that we didn't need. Biochemistry, learning about the mitochondria. I think that was so fascinating. And I think it did pertain to dietetics and nutrition. Mm-hmm. You need to have that foundation. Yeah, but I would I don't even think there's a clinical dietitian out there that thinks about mitochondria every day. Certainly not, but I think it, it it makes us look good as a profession to be able to at least talk about it. Yeah, because that's okay. That's a calorie. That's energy. You know, it's it, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think a clinician's knowledge of it, how much of that gets passed along to the patient, and or the education piece of it, and that's my background is is in education and, and patient education. But yeah, yeah, that's not going to go well when you're talking to the lay public, right? I don't know. It's, I think this is a huge miss for, for institutions right now. I I don't think that intuitive eating is, is a trend. Um, I think that it's here to stay and for all the right reasons. And and I think that we definitely need to consider moving the dietetics curriculum into stuff that's a bit more applicable to the bulk of what patients or I'm sorry, what dietitians will be doing in their day-to-day work. So yes, chemistries are important. Absolutely. But does, first of all, do labs have to be at eight o'clock in the morning and do you have to go for four hours to get one credit unit? Like so, so messed up. Um, But anyway, (laughs) and, and just like, we know that diets don't work and that weight loss is the biggest predictor of weight gain. Yep. And so we have to dig deeper into like the why, because it goes way beyond the science um, in terms of the chemistries and all of that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, all right. Last question here. What area of traditional dietetics do you love the most and which areas are a bit less comfortable for you as a clinician? Or kind of like, what would you say is your home base and where are you feeling completely out of water? Let's see. 90% of dietetics, I'm completely out of the fish out of water. 10%. Okay. Okay. Like I said before, I don't even think of myself as a clinician anymore. I I think of myself more as a coach. I always loved community nutrition, community nutrition classes, my rotation. And, you know, during my internship, it was health fairs and creating meaningful and impactful presentations. And that was why I became a dietitian. I always loved to present. I love to put good information down on paper, down in a PowerPoint and present it to the masses. That was just something that I love to do and still love to do. 
Uh, I even really honestly enjoyed the coaching sessions that I used to do when I worked at the weight loss clinic. I loved that so much. Uh, I would leave that place just feeling fulfilled. Like my, my glass was full. My cup was full. Uh, obviously my tune has changed quite a bit and I would never go back to that place and work as a weight loss clinician. Uh, but I still get such pleasure just coaching people on wellness, self-care, slowing down and listening to their bodies, which as I said, I, I do that now as a, on a part-time basis. And I also do that in my full-time job. Like that's when students come to me and they tell me about their IBS or they're trying to change their diet for this and that reasons, I always um, include something about intuitive eating, listening to their bodies, fullness, hunger, self-care, even if they don't ask. That's how I coach now. That's It always comes down to that. Um, I get uncomfortable anytime I have to help someone remove something from their diet, which I do have to do sometimes at work. Uh, although I do understand that sometimes it's necessary, especially in my job when people have food allergies or colitis, Crohn's disease, that's, those are the students I'm working with most. And they do have to sometimes remove things, but I still very much try to focus on the things that they need to get more of and add to. Um, I really feel good when I can help someone achieve, uh, you know, what they're trying to, their, their goal without becoming obsessed and anxious. So really to answer the question, I would say, I really only feel good as the area of coaching and community dietetics, uh, more so than clinical, even food service anymore. Like I am a quote unquote food service dietitian, but really on paper, I'm a coach in my full-time job and in my part-time job and, and a community dietitian. I'm putting together presentations, wellness programming. That's what I do. And that's what I love. And I am so glad that even though I am on paper, like my title is more food service, my actual job uh, duties that I do every day are more coaching and community dietetics. And that's where I feel most comfortable. And that's always where I feel most comfortable. Mm -hmm. What about you? Yeah, kind of short and sweet. Eating disorders and anything gastrointestinal related are areas that I really just don't want to touch. I have no comfort, interest, knowledge. Um, I'm very out of scope in in those areas for sure. Um, and diabetes is most certainly my comfort zone. So um, yeah, diabetes is I guess my home base. I didn't. Okay, I read the I read the question a little bit wrong. Yeah, I guess if I'm getting more specific. I, I couldn't even answer diabetes. I, you know, I will tell you, I don't necessarily have all the education that you have as far as diabetes, but having had diabetes for seven months, I learned so much, even got over my fear of needles a little bit like that, <laughs> having that, you know, gestational diabetes, I never would have guessed that I could prick my finger every day. Uh, never. I especially, cause I, I will tell you that to me is the worst type of needle. The one that just like, mm -hmm. it hurts. It does. Yeah. I would much rather like guide a, a an insulin needle into my stomach than give myself a, a prick um, because yeah. it's so, um, it's not, it's subcutaneous, right? The insulin. Mm -hmm. This is, mm -hmm. I'm so embarrassed. I have to ask that question, mm -hmm. but yeah. Right. Whereas the, the, um, the meter, it goes so deep. Oh, but I, I did it and I was very proud of myself, but that just taught me so much about diabetes. Otherwise I didn't feel very comfortable. I still it's not my area of expertise, but anyway, coaching, coaching is where it's at for me and I don't care what it's, what it's on. Uh, but that's very vague. I realize. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, oh, did you have anything else to say? I'm sorry. No. Okay. So mom wins favorite new product. Hold on. I just, so just to wrap us up, just okay. at the end of the day, 
all dietitians are not alike. So as you consider nutrition as a field, it's important to know that we all um, have similar and yet very different work. Um, so just take from that what you will. Uh, yes. And okay, now mom wins favorite new products or recipe. So I made Texas breakfast tacos, which I don't know if there's an actual, uh, you know, like recipe for it. all Texas breakfast tacos have this. But from what I found on the internet, generally speaking, it's a soft taco shell with scrambled eggs, a potato of some sort, avocado and bacon. That's what we did. And let me tell you, the kids loved them. So did Nick. So did I. So that's going to be uh, on our on our recipe rotation for sure. I'll put the link in our show notes. I'm actually going to, I'm emailing that to myself right now because I'm going to make those this week and they sound super quick. Yeah, that's the best part. You know how I, everything has to be quick. (laughs) All right. Well, we did Costco, I think, as I shared on a recent episode, it might've been the one Sydney and I just did, but um, never again, just kidding. Uh, But I found health warrior grains and seeds oatmeal from Costco. It's like little packets, uh, but it's got sunflower seeds, flax, and chia. Um, they've got apple walnut flavor and then strawberry almond. So really like them. Just add water, microwave. I was looking for some quick, easy, kind of back to school. What am I going to feed my kids? I told Mark, our grocery bill is going to go up because for two years now, we have not fed our kids consistently anyway, breakfast nor lunch during the week. Mm-hmm. So we are increasing our grocery bill by 10 meals a week. Yeah. That's a but lot. Wait, are, they, are they not getting lunch at, at school? Probably not. So it's not free anymore. So depending on the day, Shay's still a vegetarian. So that knocks out (laughs) at least 50% or more of Mm -hmm. the meals. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, we'll see. All right. Good luck with that. Well, coming up on September 18th, we will be dishing with Kids Eaten Colors, Jennifer Anderson. And I didn't even realize that was her that was her name, Jennifer Anderson. Yeah. Uh, until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitians Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. And check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com. Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. And if you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds. All right, everyone, until next time, be well. And Nicole, talk to you soon. Take care, Gina. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.